For several weeks we have been considering what it is to know and live in the will of God and how that is the primary goal because if the glory of God is our highest purpose, then the will of God must be our chiefest pursuit. We looked at it last week in both Sunday morning and Sunday night that God has a will for all things including my life and your life. And that God's will is knowable. And so there's no excuse for not living in God's will. And that God's will is discernible for those that will position themselves to receive it and and let it be so in their life. Last Sunday evening, we looked at the four passages of the New Testament which specifically say, this is the will of God. Our text this morning in John 6 and verse 40 tells us that it's the will of God that all would believe on Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse number 5 tells us it's the will of God that we live a sanctified life, abstaining from sexual sin. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 through 22 tells us it's the will of God that we be a spiritually minded people. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 16 tells us it is the will of God that we always do the right thing, no matter what. Now, we've tried to establish that it is by living our life within these things that we will have a safe zone from which to pursue the will of God in the particulars of our personal life. That is, that we will learn how to do the will of God in our everyday life the choices that we have to make, the big life decisions that are brought to us, we'll be able to do that because we're living inside those parameters of God's will. Today I want to look more closely at this first will of God. And it's first because it must precede all the rest. Before we can know and live in the will of God in any other way, we must know that it is God's will that we believe on Jesus and be saved in Him. And here in our text is the very essence of our Christian message and hope. It's the thing we have to give the whole world and to give to each other on a regular basis. Now let's read John 6, beginning in verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye shall have but I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's the will of God, the one that sent Jesus, that everyone that sees the Son would believe on him and have everlasting life. Another way to say that, it is God's will that everyone believe on Jesus and be saved. That's a good place to start, isn't it? Good place to start defining our lives and building our lives around. There's an obvious question that has to be asked. And each one of us must search our heart and know the answer. Do you believe on Jesus? Are you truly saved 
in, in the will of God? That's a question that every one of us should ask ourselves this morning because this is the will of God that everyone who sees and believes on Him would have eternal life. I want to establish it right up front this morning, 2 Peter 3. Verses 7 through 9 tells us, But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The context being, why is it that God does not stop all this, this, this wickedness in the world? Why does God not change all these things in, in, in society? Why does God let it go on? Why has Jesus not come? And he says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3-6, through 6, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And so we could go on and on with Scripture this morning to make this point, but let's be clear, God wants all people to be saved. However, we also know that not all people will be saved. Salvation is not automatic. Salvation is not rewarded to faithful people who are devout Christians. Salvation is only received in one way. John chapter 3 verse 15 and 16 says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In John chapter 6 and verse 47 uh, later in the, the text this morning, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. John chapter 5 and verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. John 11, verse 25 and 26, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? John 12, 44, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. Paul says in Romans 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then, of course, in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 13, the Bible says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and if thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that believeth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. 
By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? The question, the first primary question is this. Have you truly believed on Jesus? Now I must press into that question because it is the most important part of God's will. Whoever believes in anything else will be eternally lost. Hell will be full, full of billions of people who believed in false gods. Even false Christian gods, some of which were called Jesus. Have you believed on the only begotten Son of God? It is urgent that I compel you to look at your life and consider your ways. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. I pray the Lord will not let this be lost on you, that Paul was giving that to an assembly of professing Christians, not to an assembly of professing lost people. It was words spoken over a church just like this. You need to examine yourselves, you professing Christians. And be sure that you are in the faith. Be sure that you have believed on Jesus because this is the will of God and it is the only way to be saved. Eternal life is God's will for you and He has made the way for that. He has declared it. That by believing in Jesus you will have eternal life. Do you believe? There is nothing more important in all your life than the answer to that question. But we must not just give the rote answer of, yes, I've asked Jesus to save me. I'm a Christian. I believe. It's not enough. We must know whether or not we are in the faith. And so I must call your words or your attention to the words of the text this morning. Because, friends, how can it be? How can it be? that there are so many who make professions of faith who never stick? How can it be that there are so many lifelong church members who serve and give and they can be counted on to be at church, but their life bears no evidence of a true love for Jesus or of the reproduction of the life of Jesus in them? How can it be that millions and millions can profess to be followers of Jesus, but their day-to-day -day life is lived no differently than the rest of the world? And why is it so that as Jesus and Paul and Peter and John tell us that in the end, in the final hour of the age, there will be a great falling away from the faith? How is that possible? I tell you this morning the answer is found in our text. I believe the answer is this, that there are untold millions who have made professions of faith and joined churches and became Christians who have never yet believed on Jesus. That is how. That is the answer to those questions. 
Look at this all-important little word in our text, John 6, verse 40. It says, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son, watch this, and believeth on him. I call your attention to that little word, on, this morning. In the English, it's a preposition, meaning that it expresses a time, a place, or a manner in which something is done. In terms of time, we would say on Sunday we gather as a church. In terms of a place, we would say on the platform is where the preacher stands. In terms of manner, we would say on foot we walked from the car into the building. In our text, it is used as an adverb. And that is, that means that it is showing how the action is performed. What action? Belief. There's all kinds of belief. There's all kinds of trust. There's all kinds of professions. But this word on is showing us how the action is performed. In this case, the action of believing, how is it done? On Jesus. The Greek word is the word ice, E-I-S. It means to, T-O, or into. So it would be perfectly right to say that we must believe into Jesus. That's a heap more than saying, I believe in Jesus. I know our Bible says it, John 3, 16, whosoever believeth in him. But it's the same word in the Greek, in, on, it doesn't matter. It's always the same word, E-I-S, ice. It means to, uh, in this, it's an adverb, it means to or into. So we believe to Jesus, we believe into Jesus. Not just facts that we've accepted, not just something that we've agreed to, not just something that we've taken as an identity of who we claim to be, but we are not just be believing about Jesus, but we are in Jesus. The only ones who are saved are those who have believed into Jesus so that it is no longer I, but it is Jesus who is my life. Everyone who believes to or into Jesus will have eternal life. It's a complete change of everything about the person. I am no longer me with a belief system. That's not salvation. It ain't about having the right theology or the right ethics. You can believe in that way all the right things. You can be in that way a very good and moral person and die and go to hell because you never believed into Jesus. If you're not in Christ, you're not saved. If you're not in Jesus, you don't belong to God. I am now part of Jesus I have trusted into Him. I now abide in Him. I now exist only by Him. And this is what Paul meant when he wrote in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's believing into Jesus. Not just claiming Him as your Savior, but being in your Savior. In such a way that you have no life anymore except Him. You have no identity anymore except Him. There's nothing but Jesus. That's who has eternal life. And Paul said, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Know ye not whether you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Except you be a reprobate, a castaway, a rejected one. 
Believing on or in, either way it's translated, it's the same word. Believing on or in Jesus is not something I did to be saved. Believing on Jesus, believing in Jesus is not something I did to be saved. It is something I am doing to be saved. It is not about a profession of faith I made some years ago. It is about the possession of faith that I make every day in which I live. Jesus is life. That's salvation. And so he said in verse 35 of, of our text, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. I don't want to be misunderstood this morning. So let me say it very plainly. You will not make it into heaven and eternal life because you made a profession of faith and decidedly believed that Jesus is real and is the Savior. I want, to read, I want to read that statement from my notes one more time. You will not make it to heaven and eternal life because you made a profession of faith and decidedly believed that Jesus is real and is the Savior. That won't get you into eternal life. This is why passages like Matthew 7, verse 22 and 23 are in the Scripture. Those that will say unto me, Lord, Lord, and he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Do you think that those people who will stand before him that day and make that proclamation, do you believe they made professions of faith in this life? I believe every one of them did. Do you believe those people who are reprobate at the judgment, do you believe that they were faithful in church and that they served in church and they held positions in church from pastoring on down? Every one of them did. Those aren't nominal Christians that just come to church and that's it. The only thing they got going for them is that they're a member of a church and they attend at least a service or two every now and then. These are people who by their own testimony and Jesus did not rebuke it, said, Lord, we preached in your name, we did miracles in your name, we gave our whole life for your name. And he says, I never knew you. If that doesn't sober up the church of America today, I don't know what will. We have to care about that. That's why that song this morning matters. That God would enter into it and would bring conviction unto salvation to those who have trusted in their, their professed faith all their life but never known Christ. There's nobody, nobody who will be, it will be more sorrowful for than those who die from a church membership and a profession of faith and are sent to hell for eternity because they never believed into Jesus. And we can't just dismiss that as, well, that's somebody. Paul said, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Stop worrying about everybody else. Make sure you know that it's real in your heart. There's no time to waste, friend. I don't know how many millions of people will die across this world today. And some of them will be a Matthew 7, 22, 23 person. Verses like this, Hebrews 3, 6, But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? Did you hear the language? Where he is, if 
We hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm unto the end. Hebrews 3, 14, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. I didn't write it. You didn't write it. God wrote it. He says we'll get it. We'll be there. We'll be saved if we hold fast. Do those verses trouble you? They should. Every one of us here this morning should be troubled by those words. Even if you know without a doubt that you are in Jesus. You know He's your life. You know He's your, your life giver and sustainer. You love Him with all your heart and you just are just blessed to walk in His presence. Even if you know that, those verses should trouble you because you have some professing brothers and sisters who aren't. And if those verses trouble you because you say, does that mean I have to hold on to something to get there? You know why those verses are in there? If we hold fast if we hold the beginning until the end? Does it mean we can lose our salvation? No. It's a warning that only those who are truly saved will hold fast. Now listen to what I'm about to say. And there are those today who because they live in a sheltered American Western culture Baptist church world life, feel just fine and dandy and safe and secure in their profession of faith and it will not save you. The best thing that could happen in your life right now if that is you is for God to let everything in your life fall apart. Would to God you would experience hell on earth that you might never taste hell in eternity. I fear for the American church. I didn't realize how much till I became a pastor. It's not just our church that makes me feel that way. Don't misunderstand me. When I came back into the church, local church ministry, after all those years of an evangelistic mission-type ministry, it was very eye-opening to me as I began to listen and learn to what was happening in the church and pay attention to it. I fear for the multitudes that sit on our pews every week who have a profession of faith, but they are not in Jesus. And because they live in the American Western culture, Baptist church world life, they feel fine and dandy, safe and secure in their profession of faith and their performance of their church life, and they will not call on Jesus. They will not come to Him that they might have life. And I prayed this morning... And I add to it now that God would shake you to the very core of your life. And if it takes your entire world falling apart around you, it would be worth it. For what is a man gained if he was to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You'd be better off to lose everything you've got. Your name, your title, your securities, your money, your everything so that you would realize that you need Jesus in your life. Come to Jesus is the message, isn't it? He says in verse 35, He that cometh to me shall never hunger. In verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. 
This is a very important part of this. Coming to Jesus. What does this mean? It is by His own word, the only way to be saved, satisfied, and secured in this life. We have to come to Jesus. But what does that mean? We've read it and heard it all our lives, but do we know what Jesus is saying? Erkomahi. It's the Greek word. To come, to go. It means to accompany, to be with. Now stop and listen to that. Because some of you, the only thing you ever did was sometime back years ago, you came down an aisle and you made a profession of faith and you got baptized and you joined the church and you ain't went nowhere since. And you're going to die without Christ and be in hell for eternity because you did not come to Jesus. Do you know why people are destroyed in, in the household of faith? God said it in Hosea. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And I've told you this a while back. Do you know who God blames for it? Not the people. He blamed the priest. He blamed the ministers. He blamed in our day the pastors. The teachers. So, I beg you to understand that this is super serious and I'm going to take it super serious. Some of you don't. Some of you don't. But I care. And I have to care about what I preach because your soul hangs in the balance. We had this conversation the other night. A few of us sitting around a fire together. People come to church in these days just like they turn on television. Let's see what the preacher's got for us today. Oh, that was good, preacher. Woo, that was good preaching, preacher. Man, I tell you, we got a fine preacher at our church. I mean, man, he don't even need notes. He can get up and for 45 minutes, he can just let her rip, buddy. And I tell you, we had a good time at church. And they walk out of the house of God and live like the rest of the world. And they're on their way to hell. Because preachers haven't preached the truth. And you're comfortable in your sin. And you're comfortable in your profession of faith. And it will take you to hell. I will stand before God one day. I believe that with all my heart. I don't understand it. I don't know what it looks like. But I will stand before God and give an account. And I won't have a perfect record. But I tell you this. This day and this message will be on my account. That I declared to you that it's not enough. You need to come to Jesus. This word, come, er komahe is used in the present and imperfect tense. The present tense showing action that is happening right now. Do you get what I'm saying to you? It ain't about what you did 15 years ago. I don't care. It don't matter. What are you doing right now? Are you coming to Jesus right now? Are you accompanying Jesus right now? And if you are, prove it. Prove it. Talk is really cheap, isn't it? You know, you live with a man a couple of days, you'll learn some things about him. You live with a woman a few days, you'll learn something about him. 
Go on a trip together. Travel together. Share a hotel room. Go out to eat. You'll find out what a person's really about, what they really care about, what's really deep down in their heart, because they'll talk about it. It'll always come back to it. No matter what's going on, all roads will lead back to the thing that's most important to them. If it ain't Jesus, friend, you're not saved. The present tense shows action that is happening now, but it's the present imperfect tense. Imperfect tense speaks of uncompleted action. Unfinished action. This is a super strong word. This word by Jesus is saying that this is a way of life. It never ends. We come to Jesus now and we come to Jesus forever. It's come with me. Come to me. Imperfect. Present. Imperfect tense. Do it presently. Do it now and forever because it's unfinished. You will always need me is what Jesus said. Some of you haven't needed Jesus since the day you made a profession of faith. It's not real. It is not real. And you'll never know the will of God for your life because you've missed the most, imperf- most important part of God's will to believe on Jesus. This is the thing that drives so much of my pleading as a preacher of the gospel. I have a sense and have sensed an overemphasis on making professions of faith in which sinners are convinced that if they will simply ask Jesus to save them, They are then and forever in Christ and the entirety of their faith rests in a decision that they made on a certain day way back when. But that is not what Jesus taught. That's become the traditional preaching of men. It is not what the Bible says. This is why Jesus' invitation was always follow me, come with me, be with me. Salvation is the relationship with Jesus, not the profession of faith in Jesus. In this very chapter, and we looked at it a few weeks ago, there will be many who had professed and expressed a belief in Him who, as verse 66 will say, went back and walked with Him no more. Now, how did this happen? Do we doubt their profession of faith? No. No, they truly meant it when they said it. But like the seed which fell on the stony ground, they had no real root of trust in Jesus Himself. And when the hard truth came to them, they withered away. Oh, when the cares of this life become too much, they turn from following Jesus, grasping at this world to secure their life and make them think everything's going to be okay. Friends, 2 Peter 3, if you read on, makes this promise that it will all be burnt up. All of it. There's nothing in this world to hold to. There's nothing in your profession of faith to hold to. There's nothing in Christianity to hold to. It won't do anything for you. Their lostness is the result of a faith in a Jesus that they wanted Jesus to be. That's why they're lost. Perhaps 
There is somebody here today who that is true about you. You're lost because your profession of faith is in a Jesus that you want Jesus to be, not the Jesus that He is. But to follow the real Jesus in a real life transforming, transforming way, that was just too much for those people in John 6. They said, no, we can't go that far. I read this, J.C. Ryle, from preacher from the 1800s, said, What does coming mean? It means that movement of the soul which takes place when a man feeling his sins and finding out that he cannot save himself hears of Christ, applies to Christ, trusts in Christ, lays hold on Christ, leans all his weight on Christ for salvation. When this happens, a man is said in scriptural language to come to Christ. Have you come to Christ? And some of you right now, you're thinking about that day. Yeah, I remember. I remember when I came to Christ. You're still hung up on that. It ain't about what you did then. If you ain't done it now, it didn't work then. When a man or a woman comes to Christ, it is present imperfect tense. That's the only kind of salvation there is, a present imperfect kind. That's why we can say, and it's theologically and biblically right, I am saved, but I'm not yet fully saved. And that makes me about that nervous to say. Because I've got to lean on Jesus from here on in. That's salvation. Now, here's the good news. All who come will be saved. So, it doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter whether you've made a profession of faith or two or three. If you'll come to Jesus, you can be saved. There's, there's no other qualification. There's nothing else. How many of you now, let's go back a little ways, because there was a time you came to Jesus, right? There was a time you trusted in Jesus. And that's different for everybody. Some people, like Brother Andy, have one of them Damascus Road experiences in the mud over on a foreign field in war. And they get gloriously born again in a magnificent way. Others just grow up hearing about Jesus and by and by they make those decisions along the way. I'm going to believe Him. I'm going to trust Him. And they grow up and are nurtured in the faith and they follow Jesus all the way to eternity. It's different for everybody. But you remember along the journey how you've trusted in Him and how you've come to know Him? How He's sweeter and richer and realer today than He was a year ago. How you are different now than you were a year ago. How your life is transformed. You feel less pulled to this world and more of a pull to glory than you ever have because it's real inside of you. That's salvation. That's the real thing. That's what Jesus offers to all. You don't have to pass a math test, theology test. You don't even have to explain anything about what you got wrong or why you did it wrong. 
I don't remember where it was, but recently I was reading again about the prodigal son and somebody was referencing it in the book, but I'm, I'm just thrilled by this truth. When you read that story, oh, I hope I'll tell you this 10,000 times. When that old boy came home, his father didn't ask him a single question. He didn't say, boy, where you been? Boy, explain yourself. Boy, tell me why I should let... You know that whole thing, boy, we see, when we get to the throne, we're going to have to tell Peter why we should be let in. I know. <laughs> if you'll come to Jesus today, you don't have to explain anything. I made a profession of faith when I was eight years old. You know, when I walked that aisle at Hebron Baptist Church outside of Harmony, North Carolina, as an eight-year-old boy, and I went to that altar, and that man asked me, do I want to be saved and, and know Jesus as my Savior? And I said, yes. You know, I meant that as an eight-year-old boy. I meant it. I meant it. I meant it with all my heart, all the faith that I had. An eight-year-old has a lot of faith. If that ain't true, then Jesus wouldn't have said what he said, that we must become his little children. But you know, I went through the years, and things, you know, as I got older and become a teenager, the world began to seep in, and I began to give in. At 16 years old at Friendship Baptist Church in Harmony, North Carolina, my pastor preached on hell, our pastor at that time. Paul Crater was his name. I didn't move that night. And I went home on that Wednesday night. And in my bedroom, my dad came down to check on and see what was wrong with me. And I said, Daddy, I don't want to go to hell. And I don't know if I'm saved. And we prayed together. As a 16-year-old boy, I, from all my heart, with all I had in me, I wanted God to save me. I didn't want to go to hell. By the time I was 18, I was so in this world. I looked, the world acted the world deep down in my heart. I was an unhappy person. You know why that is? Because at eight years old, I asked Jesus to be my Savior, and I believed on him. And at 16 years old, I said, God, I don't want to go to hell. I know I'm not right. And you say, preacher, when did you get saved? When I was 20 years old. I came to a place in my life where I was tired of living in the mess that I was in. And I knelt in that bathroom, at that bathroom sink at Statesville Stained Glass, Statesville, North Carolina. And what made me think of this was when I said that we don't have to explain anything. All I said that day was, Lord, I'm tired of this. I am tired of living like this. God, if you'll, if you'll take me, if you'll change me, if you'll change me, I will live for you I will give you my all you say preacher when did you get saved in my heart of hearts I believe as an eight-year-old boy I moved toward God and God blessed my faith as a 16 year old boy unsettled and unsure I moved toward God and God blessed my faith as a 20 year old young man I was done. I wanted all of Jesus. I wanted the will of God in my life. And I moved to God and God blessed my faith. Say, preacher, when did you get saved? I suppose I don't even really know. But I know this. I could stand before you today without a doubt in my heart and tell you I'm his. And he's mine. And I don't rest it on any profession of faith. 
I don't rest it on any individual certain moment. I believe all those moments mattered. Some of you have been on a journey. And you've been up and down and back and forth and in and out. Well, I want to tell you something. If you've ever put faith in Jesus, God didn't ignore it. But if you're here this morning restless and unsettled, just tired of living in this yo-yo type of life, I promise you, if you will come to Him this morning, He will receive you, and you won't have to explain it. You won't have to talk Him into it. You won't have to prove you're worthy. Just give up. And give everything to Jesus this morning that He will receive you and He will change your life. Don't try to figure it out. Just come to Him this morning.